thank you, Father, for bringing us through another week. Thank you for the encouragement that it always brings to gather together with the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the great challenge that we always receive when we open your word to us. And Father, today as we return to that foundational chapters of Genesis upon which our faith is grounded, would you teach us and would you grow us? Would you fill us with a growing conviction of the reality of who you are and the reliability of your word? And may we go from here strengthened in our faith and may we be able to say with the Apostle Paul that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is indeed the power of God unto salvation. So stir our hearts, renew our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My wife Janet's family on her father's side, is from Preston County, West Virginia. And so on somewhat of an occasion, a regular occasion, we find ourselves heading west, Preston County, for family events or personally I head over there to hunt once in a while and enjoy that a great deal. We have found that though there are many ways to head up to the farm in Aurora, West Virginia, for some of you who are familiar with that part of the state, not far from Oakland, Maryland, we have found that about the, the, the easiest, safest way to go is to just take either River Road or I-70 up to I-68 and take 68 over to Deep Creek and go down 219. It's a few more miles that way than trying to go 50 or some of the other routes that you can go. And I always think the same thought. Every time I'm on I-68 heading through the gap or that cut that they made in the highway. Are you familiar with that? It's uh, somewhere up there. I'm not even sure. It's, uh, it's around Flintstone area, I think, in Maryland, western Maryland. And for those of you who've been around this part of the country, you know that there used to be old Route 40 that all the way around the mountain, and that was always a foggy route and a little bit dangerous. And for years, we watched them drill and blast and drill and blast and drill and blast and make that huge cut in the mountain there. Is that sidling? Is that what they call it? Sidling hill there, sidling mountain. And uh, when you go whipping through in your car, it's, it's quite remarkable, and you can see it from a long ways away. But it's even more remarkable to stop at that rest area that they have there, and they have a nice little visitor center, and to, to really take a look at it. And I always think the same thing every time I drive through there. Because if you look, you can see the strata and the layers of rock. It's obvious, even to my untrained mind and eyes, that it was sedimentary rock that was laid down in layers. And I always go to Genesis chapter 6 and 7 to what we call Noah's flood. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there. But I have news for you. Not everybody thinks that when they drive through the cut there at Sidling Hill. In fact, if you get out, the state of Maryland has paid somebody a lot of money to propagate myths about how that got there. They say that it was billions of years and all kinds of things, and they present the theory of evolution 
and an evolutionary process by which uh, the very earth was created or came to be and, and so forth. What do you think about Noah's flood? What do you think about creation? Are you confident in what the Bible says of our origin and that God spoke the worlds into existence? When I finally arrived to Preston County and I deer hunt, every once in a while I have a spot that I like to go to. It takes me a while to get there, so I don't even do it every year, and depending on the weather, because it's quite a hike. But I can take you to a spot way up in the mountains where there's a mountain stream, and I can stand in the middle of that stream, and it's not difficult at all to pick up rocks that are filled with fossilized seashells up on the mountain. And again, I think the same thing. I think as I look at that cut at Sidling Hill and I think as I pick up fossilized seashells up in the mountains of Horseshoe Run, West Virginia, what in the world are seashells doing up there? I think the same thing when I sit at my dungeon desk where I have a map of the world stapled up to the wall with other pictures to try to brighten this little dungeon desk spot that I have for private study to get away in my corner of my basement. And when I have this, this exploded view of the world map and it looks evident to me that at one point in time, the land masses fit together pretty well. Have you ever noticed that? I think that's probably true. Something came along and changed the very topography of the world, of the surface of the earth. And when I read Genesis chapter 6 and 7, I think that it rings so true. And I think there was a cataclysmic event somewhere along the line that involved the earth shaking and moving, the earth breaking open, landmass shifting, vast amounts of water, so that everywhere you can go in the world, Africa, Alaska, the mountains of West Virginia, you have the, ed the evidence of sedimentary rock laid down by water, and you have fossilized organisms in all of that rock. Somewhere along the line... Everything got all shook up. We're going to talk actually a little bit more about this next week. But today I want us to read the Genesis flood because I'm operating on a presupposition. I'm operating on a presupposition that many of the people here say, I believe the Bible, and you even pretty much believe in Noah's flood. But did you hear what I said? You pretty much believe in Noah's flood. I think that there's people, even who have grown up in Sunday school, hearing about creation and Noah's flood, but in the back of your mind, if not for some of us, even in the forefront of our minds, we really question whether or not it could have happened that way. And it just, we're highly influenced by maybe our biology class in high school or maybe a, an intro to philosophy class that we had in college where our whole value system was shaken up, and we're just not really sure what we think about everything. Welcome to Don Fellers back there. I just now saw you, brother. It's good to have you back with us, buddy. We've been praying for you too, Donnie. But what do you really believe about the flood? Let's read this, the biblical account, and let's ask ourselves, do I really believe that this stuff happened, and Why? I want to hang our thoughts this morning on three main words. We're going to take a little bit of time this morning and, and review. That's number one word. We're going to review. Secondly, I want you to rethink a couple things with me. And thirdly, I want to try to respond to the very initial point of the critics 
on Noah's flood. We'll get that far. Next week, we're going to pick it up, be a little bit more scientific next week, and uh, share a few more details of those kinds of things. Let's get in our Bibles now in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7. We're going to take time to read uh, pretty much this entire section. Let's begin with verse 5 of Genesis chapter 6. It reads rather quickly, and it's easy to understand what the writer has put down for us in this historical biblical account of what happened after the earth is now populated and what God sees and what God does. Genesis chapter 6, begin with verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now this is the account of Noah. Verse 9, Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people for the earth is filled with violence because of them and I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make, make lower, middle and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And the Lord said, chapter 7, to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made." And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. 
And in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. And on that very day Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah, and then the Lord shut him in. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth, and the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water, and they rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. And every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. And everything on dry land that had had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the the ark. And the waters flooded the earth for 150 days. That's quite a story, isn't it? I want us to take a few minutes this morning and I want us to just uh, review why we're preaching out of this ancient book of Genesis. Hold in your mind the the detailed story as we have it of Noah and the flood and why God sent the flood waters. But first of all, let's just take a second and let's review. Take your Bible and flip with your left hand to the left, would you? And let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and let's just remind ourselves where we've been in the book of Genesis. We've had over five weeks off and we need to gear up again and get our wheels up and get this plane off the ground again and see what God has for us in this marvelous book of beginnings. Chapter 1 and chapter 2, let's say it together. Creation. Will you say that? Creation. Chapter 1 and chapter 2. When you open your Bible and you read chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's all about what? Creation. And God spoke the worlds into existence, ex nihilo. Remember, we had a number of messages on evolution and, and, and some of the problems with that, uh, not the least of that something doesn't come from nothing, no matter how long you wait, and so forth. And, and uh, so when you open your Bible in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's all about creation. But then something happens in chapter 3, and it's the fall. Say fall. Fall. And by fall, what do we mean? We have in chapter 3 the story and the account of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, and they're living in the garden, and it's a utopian-type environment. And they, you know, Miss Debbie, I feel a little bit like I'm hunting deer this morning and that I'm hiding behind the brush here all the time. (laughs) We're going to have to do something about this hedge right here, okay? But it's pretty, all right? Okay? I'm going to come to this side over here, okay? We record the second service for... The internet, so I'm not gonna, I won't say that in the second service. <laughs> a little looser in the first service. In chapter 3, we have Adam and we have Eve, and we have, remember that great word where in the cool of the evening, God would come and walk with them. God gave them free reign. What a beautiful setting it was 
first man, the first woman, total innocence. But God allowed man to have a will, to have a choice. And in the middle of the garden, he puts that tree. Remember, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Eve violates God's standards. Boy, it's just like us, isn't it? What do you mean I can't eat of this fruit? But I like this fruit. And we talked all about that and temptation and how the, how the serpent possessed by Satan was cursed. The woman was cursed. The man was cursed. And do you remember our little helicopter and our little case full of tools that we had? Remember I've talked about that a few times? That the whole time we're going through Genesis, that we need to keep the mindset of being inside our little helicopter and we've got a microscope and we've got a telescope and we've got uh, some other scientific instruments and everywhere we go we want to look around and we want to see if what Genesis says makes sense according to the natural world. Because we're told all the time that there is no God. We're told all the time that this all just evolved. That there is no designer. But everywhere we go, what do we see? We see design. We see purpose. We see pattern. We see livestock and wild animals after their own kind. We never see a grizzly bear down in our barnyard trying to mate with our Hereford calf. They don't go together. My dog that's half German Shepherd and half Golden Retriever never tries to mix it up in that certain way to produce offspring with our cats that come around. He tries to do other things to those cats, but he never tries to do that certain thing to those cats. Because it's after its kind. And so everywhere we land our helicopter, everywhere we look around, when I read Genesis, I say, that's exactly how it is. That's exactly how it is. And I imagine in my mind the creation and Adam and Eve in the garden. And remember those three words that God says? It is good. And it's all good until what happens? Until we disobey God. And then I think about my own life and I think, you know, everything always goes really well when I'm walking in obedience to God. But then when I disobey God and I don't love my wife the way Christ loves the church and I do provoke my children unto wrath and when I do get an attitude and I do violate Scripture... Man, the wheels come off in a hurry. Have you ever noticed that? I know you have. And it's exactly the way it is in the Word. And so sin enters the world in chapter 3 and we have the fall. Chapter 4, we have the fruit of sin. What do we have the great story in chapter 4? There's Cain and there's Abel and we have the story of murder. Chapter 4, say murder. Murder. It doesn't take long for sin to corrupt everything. And everything that was created and was good is now not good because God has cursed the earth because of mankind's sin. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 is creation. Chapter 3 is? Chapter 4 is? Murder. We then have later in chapter 4 the line of Cain and we have man trying to make a success out of himself without God. But then at the end of chapter 4, you remember that? And at that time, men began to call out to the Lord. And then in chapter 5, we have the genealogies of Seth. And we have the population of the world going on in chapter 5. And chapter 5 is that funny chapter where some of you just don't like it. It's kind of weird and you're kind of embarrassed, especially if you go to a secular campus, to say that you really believe, you know, you're up in front of a, a science class or some kind of class in a secular university. How many of you believe in this class that people live to be 690 years old? You what? You believe people could be 600 years old? What's wrong with you? 
But it's very evident that that's exactly what happened, and we talked about all the reasons why that's not ridiculous, and that we're not crazy for believing the Bible just as it comes. We don't have to make excuses for our Bible. We don't have to be embarrassed of our Bible. It's right there. And as sin entered the gene pool, and we see exactly what we see in Scripture in real life, and the age is diminished now to 70 years, basically, as the psalmist said. It's exactly what we see around us. Expect to live about three score and ten years, except for God's blessing. Got a phone call yesterday morning. There, My mom's on the way to the hospital. She's almost 80 years old. Things are not good. You say, what's wrong with God? Why can't she live 20 more years? Because that's not the way it is. Get in your helicopter, fly all around the world. People don't live with quality above 70 or 80 years. It just doesn't happen. It's because of the curse. Creation, fall, murder, the genealogies from Adam to Noah. And then we hit chapters 6 and 7, and it's Noah's flood. It took a few minutes for us to do that, but I just wanted to get our minds back into Genesis. We'll not keep doing that. And then we read, as we just did in chapters 6 and 7, this this incredible story that I would guess that many of our high school young people would be really embarrassed in their biology class at Jefferson High School to say, as I did in my 10th grade biology class and got plenty of attention from my teacher, that I totally believe Genesis 6 and 7 is true and that it happened exactly the way it says it there. There was this flood, and there was a guy who built a boat, and all the animals came and got on the boat, and God preserved mankind through Noah's line, and all the animals got off the boat, repopulated and refilled the earth, and so forth and so on. The second word I wanted to hang our thoughts on this morning is to rethink chapter 6 and 7. Number one, review. Number two, rethink. And I just wanted to take a minute and make a few comments about what chapters 6 and 7, and the story of Noah and the flood are not. Number one, it's not a children's story. Sometimes when we think about Noah and the ark, we picture this like, this caricature of a houseboat with a giraffe with his neck sticking up through the top of the the houseboat. And we go, aww. And there's a little rainbow, and we think, oh, and, and if our grandkids that come along, you know, we, th- we buy them a little Noah's Ark thing, and people decorate their nurseries, and we've talked about this already, and you got the little Noah's Ark wallpaper border all the way around, and oh, it's just so nice. And if we go to Sunday school and we drop our children off, and the teacher's teaching about Noah and the Ark, that just makes us feel so good when we go to our adult class and talk about Islam, and we think, my boys and girls are learning about Noah's and the, Noah and the Ark, oh, that's so sweet. I'll tell you something. I think we just read one of the most horrendous, unbelievable stories in the Bible. It's not a kid's story. It's an in-your-face, God's wrath story. Secondly, it's not an animal story. I I had to throw this in there for the animal lovers. I kind of pushed the wild beast feast there a little bit. (laughs) Don't you love to watch animal story? Those of you that get cable, right? Every time we get to a hotel or something, Jonathan's got that clicker and he's looking for animal story. And I don't owe you five bucks for that. (laughs) A lot of people, a lot like the children, they kind of get the fuzzies about the animals or they worry about the animals. It's not an animal story. And a lot of people are bothered about 
the animals and how they came two by two. And there's even little songs about that and stuff. But I'll tell you something. It's a sin story. It's not an animal story. It's a sin story. It's a story about how sin destroys the lives of people. Thirdly, I want you to rethink this story. It's not a children's story. It's not an animal story. And kind of close related to what I've been saying, but not to be redundant. It's, a, it, it's some kind of a happy, fun story. There was Noah and his wife and his three kids and their wives, and, and they got to get on the ark, and it was great. And the ark landed up on Mount Ararat somewhere over by Turkey, and they got off and the dove out the window. And that was just a great story, man. Like they went on vacation. Listen to me. Listen to me. Part of the reason that God kept them on the ark for so long is because the stinking, rotting corpses of every living animal that breathed air on the face of the earth. This is a story about death, my friends. This is a story about the wrath of God and how man loves to spit in the eye of God and say, I can do it my way. And as you saw in the story, that the sin and the wretchedness of the sinfulness of all mankind became a stench in the nostrils of God. This is not a warm, fuzzy story. This is an abrasive, harsh, destructive story. You need to understand that during the flood, the whole earth trembled. The whole surface of the earth broke apart. The evidence is everywhere. Cracks and fissures and and sedimentary rock laid down and animals dying and dead everywhere and trees laid through. We'll talk about this next week. I might even show you a picture. One of the evidences of the flood The layers of strata of rock and all the way through the different rock is a tree trunk. What's that all about? That's the old fourth grade science project where you took some sand and you took some dirt and you took some of this and some of that and then you shake it up in a bottle, a big pickle jar full of water and then you set it on the shelf and you go out to recess and you come back and you look at it and all that thing's laying down in strata in there. Listen, the whole surface of the earth shook. I believe that it was probably an incredibly frightening event for Noah and his wife. Listen, we know the end of the story. They had the promises of God and they believed God and he had built that ark. We'll talk about the ark specifically a little bit more too next week. I just want you to rethink this a little bit and understand there's a reason God put this story in the Bible. And by the way, I think right now is a good time for us to talk about my boxes here. A lot of people think, Now, Pastor Van, you're really overreacting to this. You're really making a big deal out of chapters 1 and chapter 2, creation. Chapter 3, fall. Chapter 6 and 7, flood. Listen, I have no problem with the Bible. I have no problem, you know, with David and even Bathsheba. And I have no problem with Jesus. I love Jesus. He just makes me feel good. I have no problem with the Bible. But the first few chapters... I don't think they make sense and I just ignore them and I let them go and I don't need that in my Bible. And I want to tell you, you're just really wrong. And you say, you're really making a big deal. I'm not making a big deal out of it at all. I am laying a foundation for everything that we believe the Bible says and understand it to be true. Listen, on the, at, at the very heart of the matter in Genesis 1 through 7 is the fact that what's at stake is the very integrity of Scripture. Does the Bible really mean what it says or not? You say, well, I don't believe that stuff. Well, then you don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the beginning of the Bible, let me ask you a question. You probably have a little trouble with that book of Revelation, and you don't believe that either. Because if you don't believe the beginning, why would you believe the end? 
And so now you're in a situation where you're picking and choosing what you believe. Oh, isn't that something? I'm going to decide what I like to believe and what I don't like to believe. Well, you're pretty big for your britches, aren't you? And so the very integrity of Scripture, whether you believe it to be true or not, not only that, the very authority of Scripture is at stake here. Did God really mean what He says? And does God speak with authority or not? Now, ultimately, getting even deeper into the heart of the matter, this really matters. Genesis 1 through 7 really matters because what's at stake is the depravity of man. What do I mean by that? Are we sinners or are we not sinners? Because if we're not sinners, let's take our Bible, throw it away, and let's go party. But if I am a sinner and there is a creator God and he does hold me accountable, then the most important thing about my life is getting right with him. If I'm going to stand before God someday, my creator, and he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin, and I don't think I'm a sinner and I really am a sinner, then the most important thing I can do is get straight in my head of exactly what happened in Genesis. You see, it goes like this. A lot of people say, I love Jesus. I I like Jesus. He healed the lame, and he made the blind to see, and he raised the dead, and he's just really good. I just get a warm feeling about Jesus. You really need to read the Gospels again. It'll scare you to the quick of your being when you really understand Jesus. But yes, he's a great guy. Don't get me wrong. God in the flesh. But I don't really think I have to go along with creation, so... But listen... You start trying to jerk the boxes. You ever try to do that? Got all them Christmas boxes downstairs? And you know the one your wife wants? This one right here. Right here. And I'm downstairs, she's upstairs, and I ain't too happy about all these boxes, and so I know what I'll do. Oh, does it every time, right? Well, what happens? If I jerk creation out, what happens? If there is no creator, then listen, my friends, there was no fall. Because if there is no creator, then there is no rule system, and I have no God to whom I'm accountable for, then don't call me a sinner. So if there is no creation, there is no fall. And listen, if there is no fall, there was no reason for a flood. Because I am, Toka. Because if there was no flood, if there was no fall, there was no flood... Because why? The whole reason the flood happened was why? For a holy, righteous God to wipe out a sinning people off the face of the earth. You follow me? And if there was no creator, and there was no fall into sin, and there was no flood, then my friend, God did not send Jesus to the earth. He had no purpose. He sent Jesus here to make you feel fuzzy and warm. He sent Jesus here to become sin for you who knew no sin. He sent Jesus to die, to speak our language, to to be born, to grow up, to speak our language, and to say, you want to know my Father? Look at me. I and my Father are one. John the Baptist came first, shouting the way, make straight the way of the Lord. Lay down the mountains and straighten up the roads. That was a traditional way, like if some big emperor came in to visit Rome or something, they would get all the slaves out there and they'd take all the curves out of the road and all the humps out of the road. So they'd make the road real straight and smooth. And that's what John the Baptist did. Hey, everybody, listen up. He's coming. The king is coming. Straighten up the roads. Fill in the valleys. He's the one that I'm not even worthy to, to lace up the, thongs, the, the laces on his sandals. 
Listen, if there's not a creator and there wasn't a fall and there's no sin, there certainly wasn't a flood and there was certainly no reason to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross. You get that? And so when we open our Bibles and we say, I I don't know about this stuff. Let me at least challenge you then finally in our response to this flood passage and we'll wrap it up. And let me just deal with a brief concept. And then, as I said, next week we're going to be a little more scientific. The Bible is not a science book, don't get me wrong. But we're going to get out of our helicopter with our magnifying glass and our telescope and we're going to look at the earth and see if the flood fits what we see in the natural world. A response to a couple of comments about Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7 from the skeptics. First of all, they want to say, It was mythological. Pastor Van, can't you see that it was mythological? That's sort of what I've been dealing with with my cardboard boxes. It's not mythological. And if you look around and if you're reading the newspaper and if you're watching the news and if you know anything about what's been going on in your own family, you know that we're sinners and dirty rotten to the core until Jesus washes away my sin. And what a great thing that God loved me so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross to save me from my sin. Praise God. By his grace, no merit of my own. I don't do any boasting. I'm just a, just a dirt bag saved by the grace of God. Wow. I'm not, we're not going to take the time to look it up, but here's further proof that this cannot be mythological. As we study 6 and 7 of Genesis, it cannot be mythological because, number one, Jesus believed it. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 38. Jesus believed in a literal flood. He even said, if you want to understand what the end times are going to be like, study what it was like right before the flood. It's clear that Jesus was not talking in proverbial uh, allegory, mythology talk. You say, but Pastor Van, what about the fact that in every culture around the world, there's flood stories? Ha, you're exactly right, and that's evidence that there really was a flood. Otherwise, there wouldn't be stories all around the world that there was a flood. Yeah, they get it mixed up, but that's what happens when people make up stories and embellish. Jesus believed it. Not only that, if you look up 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 to 22, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, Peter preached it. Jesus believed it. Peter preached it. So if 6 and 7 of Genesis are not true, then Jesus is blowing smoke and Peter's preaching nonsense. We got issues, people. We can't let this stuff just go. Thirdly, the writer of Hebrews totally accepted it. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, he uses Noah as an illustration of the kind of people of faith we are to be today. That's not an allegory. That's just not like be like Peter the rabbit or be like Santa Claus. That was a real guy who really lived in a corrupt world where a holy God was going to condemn the the whole world and one man found righteousness. And we've already had a message, haven't we? You can get it off the internet or you can order a CD. How to live a righteous life in a sinful, corrupt world. That was Noah's model for us. It's not mythology. One other thing and we'll wrap up. You need to rethink. If you think this is mythology, the other thing you need to rethink That's not the word, respond. Let me respond to you in this. It's not mythology. And secondly, another common thing with 6 and 7 in the flood is that it was a localized flood. Pastor Van, Pastor Van, let me tell you something. 
There is no way that the whole world, that the rain came and the, and the floodwaters went up and it was 20 feet above the highest mountain. What about Mount McKinley in Alaska? You know, what about that big mountain over, I'm forgetting, in, uh, you know, the tallest mountain, uh, Everest? You know, it's the tallest mountain in the world. And are you telling me? It was a local flood. Let me just quickly rattle off why it cannot be a local flood. First of all, clearly the Bible says it wasn't a local flood. So if you believe it's a local flood, you don't believe what the Bible says. We won't take time to review all those verses, but in 6.13, 6.17, 7.4, and 7.17 and following, the whole world, everything in the whole world, if words mean anything, it can't be a local flood. Secondly, the world today wouldn't show it if it was a local flood. But everywhere you go in the whole world, what did our kids sing with Tim? Thank you, Tim. Billions of dead things laid down by water all over the world, something like that. Everywhere you go, there it is. Start digging. There was floodwaters everywhere. Thirdly, if it was a local flood, couldn't be a local flood because God's wrath would not allow it. Listen, if it was a local flood, you wouldn't have needed an ark. All you would have to do is migrate. God's wrath would not allow a local flood, my friend. The whole world came under his wrath. Listen, listen. What a firm foundation we have in God's word. What an understanding and an enlightenment that we get when we open our Bibles and we understand what happened. Now I understand why my mom's dying in Charlotte, North Carolina right now. Because of sin and because of the curse. But now I don't sorrow or grieve as those who have no hope because Jesus came to die for sinners, to give us a new life in Christ and the reward of heaven. Privilege of heaven, really, not a reward. Heaven is by his grace. And by his mercy, we don't get what we deserve in hell. Listen, you don't have to try to make up stuff. You don't have to try to be embarrassed. You don't have to try to cover for your Bible by saying, well, that's probably mythology. You don't have to be embarrassed and say, well, I believe in a flood, but it was a local flood. That is utter nonsense. And listen to me. You don't make a fool out of yourself when you believe the Bible. You make a fool out of yourself when you start making up stories about the Bible. It's incredible. We have a firm foundation upon which to build our lives, my friend. Let me encourage you today to receive it with gladness. It's right there. There was a creator, God. Mankind sinned against his creator. God said, I'm removing sin off the face of the earth, and he sent a flood. Praise God, he said, I'll never do that again. But he said, there is a judgment coming, didn't he? But he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. Praise God. Are you building your life on the firm foundation of God's word? Are you just coming to church to feel good? You just come in and kind of listen because Pastor Van's funny, might have some empty boxes up on the platform or something. There's way more entertaining churches to go to than this one if that's why you're going to church. Build your life on the solid rock of God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these great passages. And Lord, as we retool and and, uh, recommit to our studies in Genesis, would you open our minds to what is truth and what is reality? And Lord, there will be days that um, 
We will feel low and, and uh, we live in a world that, that does not accept absolute truth and they certainly don't believe that truth is founded in your word. But Lord, may we build our lives on, the, on your foundation. May we recognize this morning that you are a holy God and you're a God of expectations and you have standards and that you created the family. You created the, uh, our, the, the, the family and the, and the home and the community and the church. And that when we don't order our lives by your word, we get into deep trouble. Thank you, Lord, that you restore lives. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive sin. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who became sin for us. And I pray that you would encourage us today. Some who need to come to Christ, others who need to re-grasp and re-grip their, their hold on the foundational truths of your word. Teach us and encourage us, I pray in Jesus' name.